0: Uh man it's so so good to be with you guys. I I know he said that he was going to put me to work but I really consider this a gift. Uh it's a pleasure. It's 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 a treasure to be able to share God's Word with you guys. Um, if any of you guys have been following what I've been doing for the last couple years, um, I'm not on staff at a church. I, I run a ministry called Good Lion, uh, goodlion.org, if you want to look up what we do. But uh, we focus a lot on young adults, young Christians, and helping them navigate just all the craziness of the world and uh, postmodernism and post-Christian landscape and all that kind of stuff. And really, helping people fix their eyes back on Christ is our goal. Like, everything we do, podcasts, videos, it all goes back to that. Um, And yeah, and I'm so glad to be here with you guys sharing, because I don't get to do this in a church like this that often anymore. And so it's such a gift. So thank you so much for uh, allowing me to come here and share with you guys. If you want to turn to Psalm 86, that's where we're going to be. Psalm chapter 86. Please turn there. I'm excited to get into the Psalms. I, uh, when I did high school ministry, I only did a small little series through the Psalms. Uh, we did like six of them. So this is so fun to be able to jump back in. Um, Psalm chapter 86, and we're going to be in verses 1 through 7. And if you guys would just stand with me, um, we'll read from God's Word. If you can stand. If not, stay seated. <laughs> Psalm chapter 86, verses 1 through 7. Bow your ear, O Lord, hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all the day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. You can be seated. This is a beautiful, beautiful psalm and really a beautiful prayer at the heart of the book of Psalms is prayer. Uh, the ancient Hebrews regarded the book of Psalms as sort of their prayer book. And through studying it, we can learn how the biblical authors talked to God. And this psalm was written by David. You guys know David. He's the shepherd boy who killed the giant Goliath, the king of Israel, ancestor of Jesus. He wrote these words during a great time of need in his life. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon actually argues that this psalm is peak David, like there's never been a more Davidy psalm than this psalm. Here's what he says Spurgeon says, the words here savor of David, the, the man of sincerity, of ardor, of trials, of faults, and of great heart. He pleads, sobs, and trusts through all the verses of this psalm. And as I was setting this passage, I was asking what I normally do when I get a text to preach. What is going on here? What what are the biblical authors trying to say to us? What is God trying to speak to us through this text? And I started asking the questions, and I started to notice something. Throughout this entire passage, David is crying out, help me, protect me, provide for me, defend me. I love you. I need you. He's crying out to God. And all of this crying out transported my mind to a very special time and place 272 days ago, in a hospital room with my wife. And I remember being frozen in anticipation, not fear. Leading up to this moment, I had always thought I'd be terrified. I wasn't really afraid. It was more of this feeling, this mixture of overwhelmed and hopeful. And I, I was frozen in time, literally waiting for the next chapter of my life to begin. And the doctors and nurses were there doing Whatever they do, I'm not really sure because I was so hyper-fixated on my wife. They were running around doing something. But I was just looking at her. My beautiful wife was there, crying out this, this mixture of pain and hopeful expectation. And it all happened so fast. And suddenly, I saw a baby being held in front of me, a beautiful baby named Jack Harrison Salvato. And there he is. <laughs> yeah, I love him. And when I saw him, he cried, and then I cried even harder. Um, And it's been that way ever since. Because there in front of me was the most beautiful answer to prayer that me and my wife had ever seen, a son that we could call our own, a gift that we thank God for every day. So for obvious reasons, I've had fatherhood on my mind. And as I was looking at Psalm 86 and seeing the heart of David, all I could see was this baby crying out. And that's not derogatory, it's it's actually revelatory of this beautiful relationship between child and father, God and his children. Now here's the thing that's interesting, biblical scholars in the room will notice that David doesn't actually address God as father during the message. And there's a reason for this, it was actually pretty much unheard of in the Old Testament for Jews to refer to God as father when they prayed, They they just didn't do that. And, and there are some passages where Yahweh, our God, refers to himself as father, like in Exodus 4:22. He says, "Then you shall say to Pharaoh, "Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me." But it's actually hard when you study the Old Testament, to find prayers where people pray, Our Father." which kind of shocked me because it's kind of like the, what's it called, the Mandela effect, where you, know, you, you think something is one way, but really it's not. And you're like, I thought everyone thought that. I, I, I actually thought that. I thought, oh, I thought the Old Testament was full of references to God as Father. There's not very many. And, and it actually kind of undercuts in our minds how radically different Jesus was in helping people understand who God was. It was Jesus God in the flesh revealing the father who first taught his disciples to refer to God as Abba, which means our father. And this is significant because, well, I mean, he's the son of God, right? So of course that's his father. But what Jesus tries to communicate is, no, 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 that's your father too. If you're a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Yahweh, he's your father too. He loves you like a father. And that's how he sees this relationship. We know from scripture as Christians, we've been adopted into this amazing family by a God, a loving, sacrificial father. It's beautiful. And so I'd like to remind you, we don't read scripture in a vacuum. We read it through the lens of Christ because we have the whole story. We have the big picture. Jesus tells us God is our father. Even though David isn't naming God as father in the psalm, the way he speaks to God is this reflection of that beautiful father-child relationship. So as we dive into Psalm 86, I want you to let these words stir your heart towards the reality of the fatherhood of God. Maybe for some of you, that's an important aspect of your relationship with him that you've forgotten. And there might be others in this room I think it's really important to address. This might be a hard subject for you. Because perhaps your own relationship with your own father is a little warped, a little tainted by a father who let you down or hurt you, or or maybe you're a mother and the father of your child is no longer in the picture. And so your picture of fatherhood is tainted and it's hard. No matter where you are in the room today, I want to encourage you, your your heavenly father, he loves you so, so much. That's the message in a nutshell. Your heavenly Father loves you. That's what I want to present to you today. Are you with me? I want to invite you to receive that truth this morning. Lord, I I pray for everyone in this room that you would break down walls, break down barriers, and clearly speak about who you are and what your identity is. Your children want to hear from you. Even if there's walls up, they want to hear pray that you would speak in your name, amen. What I really want from this passage is for us to get a picture of the character of God. And verse one does a great job of setting the stage. It says, bow down, bow down your ear, O Lord. Hear me, for I'm poor and needy. The first characteristic of God I want us to see is he is the father who meets our needs, And that's one of the core themes of this passage, need. (laughs) I asked my wife, uh, Brooklyn, about my son, Jack, and I was like, can you give some illustrations uh, on how he's needy? And she was like... That's kind of his entire personality at this point. He's just needy. And, and as a mom you know, who's feeding the kid, I mean, like, yes, yeah, she gets even more than me. That kid, is he's extremely needy. He literally, I mean, he can't fend for himself without me and his wife. He, he has nothing without us. He really needs us. I can't just wake up in the morning and be like, hey, Jack, good to see you, bud. Can you change your own diaper and make your own breakfast? Thanks, dude. I can't do that. He needs me. I mean, even just in the most basic things, sometimes in the morning, I get up with him and I sit on the couch with him and I'm just trying to chill, just have a good time with my son. If I didn't restrain him, he would literally dive off the couch face first into the corner of the coffee table. I don't know what it is, but he's just obsessed with that corner and he would love to just dive into it. And I'm like, bro, what is wrong with you? You little psychopath, you need me (laughs) to protect you. He's so cute and so clueless. I love it. So think about David. Well, in this psalm, what was David's need? Well, in the context, we don't actually know when this psalm was written. We don't know what part of David's life this is. Uh, David Guzik actually has a good quote on this. I'll throw him up there on the screen. I I picked that old picture of him because he's got like the dad mustache, and I thought it just, you know, fit the theme of the message. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, you know, uh, 1980-something David Guzik says, we aren't told the nature of David's need. We know it was severe and he felt it to be life-threatening, yet we don't know if it was danger from Saul or the Philistines or from assassins or anything else. This is actually good because it allows us to see our need in David's need. It allows us to know that we can approach God on the same basis of whatever our need is. So there's a great relatability here. You know, I I think as adults, we can be insecure about our neediness. No one wants to seem needy. You pass a, a beggar on the side of the road, and for a lot of people, especially if you're not a Christian and you don't have Jesus in your heart giving you compassion, a lot of people see a beggar and they think, oh, just go get a job. What's your problem? And we, don't, we, we internalize that, and we don't want to be seen as somebody looking for a handout, somebody begging. A lot of times we can hide our need. How many times does somebody ask you, how's it going? And you're like, oh yeah, it's going Good. It's going good. And in your mind, you're just like, oh, I'm carrying this crushing burden and weight of all of these things going on in my life, but I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be a burden. Sadly, we can even approach our relationship with God this way. Dr. James Boise words it like this, to confess that we are poor and needy seems demeaning. To be a servant seems unworthy. We want to be people who deserve something from God because of who we are. Now, of course, he's referring to the foolish notion of being a self-made man or woman, earning our standing with God uh, by our own righteousness and goodness, which we know is impossible. Uh, The only reason that we deserve anything is because we're adopted. We're adopted as, as Christians. If you're a Christian here today, you're adopted into this family of Christ, of God. Sons and daughters bought by a price. Now, here's the thing. As a father... Like, I'm not surprised by my son's neediness. I honestly expect it. I expect him to be needy. And that's this beautiful relationship where he needs me and his mom, and we provide for him, and we teach him too. We, we taught him how to feed himself. It's amazing. Like We just set down broccoli in front of him, and he's like, what's that? And we're like, I don't know. You figure it out. And he picks it up, and he eats it. And it's like, whoa, that's amazing. We, we taught him how to sleep by himself, which that was a game changer because for a while it was like every two hours, oh my goodness, got to feed him, got to burp him, got to make him happy. And now we go into the room at night and we put him in and he falls asleep. It's like we, we did this uh, the crazy sleep training thing and the lady who was the instructor of the video series was like, it's going to take at least three or four weeks. And we're just like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. And by night two, he was falling asleep on his own. Like we, that, 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 that was a miracle. We were blown away. Now, when I say that, like, we teach him these things, I really mean my wife teaches him these things, because she's, she's amazing. She is, I do not deserve how good of a wife and mom she is. Uh, at this point, I think the, the main thing I've taught my son is that puppets are hilarious. I think, yeah. <laughs> Hi-ho! Uh, um, <laughs> now, um, the, the, think about this, though. The heart of the Heavenly Father, right? The heart of the Heavenly Father He is not shocked by your need, guys. He expects it. He welcomes it. He teaches us, and no matter how much we learn, we never stop needing him. And we forget that. How often we forget that we need him. We think, I've got this figured out. I've got this all under control. Some of you guys here might be like, I'm 54. I know it all. Um, That's how I think sometimes at 33, you know? Um, And yet God looks at us, and he's like, no, in my eyes, I am this infinite being, the smartest knowledge of a man, in, like the, 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 the most intelligent man in the world, his knowledge compared to God is like a, like a Dixie cup, a full Dixie cup. I've got like, you know, maybe like a quarter of a Dixie cup of knowledge. The smartest guy, full cup. God's got the ocean. He is so much wiser than us. He knows so much more. And yet so often we don't act like we need him. We blow him off and we say, I want to figure this out on my own. He wants to teach us his love and his way. But we have to acknowledge our need. We have to humble ourselves. Look at verse 2. David says, preserve my life for I am holy. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Preserve my life. Protect me. David had a lot of enemies. If you've read the Old Testament, you know David was a hunted man, Always on the run, whether he was a shepherd boy or a king, he had tons of enemies and he needed God's protection. And it's interesting, he calls himself holy there. What does that word holy mean? In the context of this passage in the original Hebrew, that word means dedicated, devoted to God. Dedicated. David says, God, I'm yours. I'm part of your family. I'm your son. It's amazing as a new parent, there's something really special about recognizing that your child loves you. And for me right now with Jack, it's, oh my gosh, like he, he's so stinking cute. He, it, it, sometimes he doesn't cuddle during the day because he's so just hyper and he just, every little thing. You see, literally like if, if you put something new in the room, you could put like a, a paper clip on the other side of the room. He's just like, oh my gosh, my new best friend. And he just has to travel to the other side of the room. To, I don't, I do not put paper clips out for my son. I'm like in that moment I'm like, oh, I need to make sure people know I'm actually a good parent. <laughs> But you know what I mean? Like, any new thing distracts him, and he freaks out. Well, at night, my wife and I put him to bed, and it's like the cutest thing ever because he actually cuddles at bedtime. I don't understand how or why, but we'll, you know, read him a little book, turn off the lights, stand by the crib, and I'll pray for him. And when we start praying, it's so cute, he, like, totally bows his head and rests it on his mom's shoulder. And then while we're praying for him, he'll, like, snuggle his mom, and then he'll totally, like, turn his head over to me. He'll like thrust himself towards me and rest his head on my shoulder. And he just goes back and forth. And it's like, the, it's like oh, he does love me. This is amazing. Like this little tiny nine-month-old human actually likes me. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. And I want to remind you that these are you know really common things I'm talking about. These are very simple illustrations of just babies. I mean, all of you were a baby at one point, and And some of you guys here in the room, a lot of you guys, you've had kids of your own. You know what this is like. But this relationship, this beautiful relationship of parent and child, God's the one who invented it. He created it. He designed it. And like most human relationships, when God designed these things, he, he put patterns into them that are meant to be parallels of our relationship with him. And as you think of a small child, no matter how old you are in the room, remember God created you for a relationship with him. Like That is one of the main core functions of existing and being human. It's being in a loving relationship with God where you experience him and he experiences you. It's this beautiful thing. My, my favorite moments are when You know, the three of us are together, me, him, and his mom, because there's just so much trust. We laugh and we play. He dives on top of us. He rests his head on our chest. Baby babbles to us. It's so cute. And every morning I spend with him, I, I give my wife a little bit of time off because she just works so much on that baby. She's amazing. I'll take a little bit of time in the morning and let her sleep in, and I'll take him to the couch, and I'll just rest him on my chest, and I'll just look at him and talk to him and hug him. And this, there's this thing I do where I lift him over my head and go, super baby, and he sticks out his arms and goes, ha, 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 ha. And it's so cute because it's like so much trust. I mean, he's really high up for him. That's really high, but he doesn't have any fear, any fear of falling or getting hurt because he knows he's safe. And I wanna remind you today that like, no matter where you are, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what trial you're in right now, some of you guys, you you feel like you're up in the air, but you, you don't feel safe. You don't feel like God has got it. You're wondering, how is God gonna get me out of this situation? I don't actually know if he can. And God wants to remind you, hey, I want you to feel safe with me. I want you to be able to trust me, rely on me. I want you to bring your needs to me. It's so funny how we often avoid bringing our needs to God. It reminds me of like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll get in these moods. I don't, I don't know a lot of you guys out here, uh, probably, probably some of you girls too. You're probably fixers like me, where if there's a problem, you're like, how can I fix this? And over the last couple of years, I've been doing the bivocational ministry thing where it's like, I'm trying to preach and go to churches and teach the Bible and, and run these podcasts and write and, and research, but I've also got to hold down a more normal job. And so it's like time, extra time, and trying to figure out the finances of it and, and the time and how to make it all work. And, and there's been seasons where I've been so stressed. And the way that I try to fix things is I bust out my spreadsheets and my charts and my to-do list, and I'm just like, da, 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 and just, you know, working into the night, trying to make it work and make everything fit together. And I wonder if God. God looks at me doing that the way I look at my son when he's trying to like climb up the bed. He can't. Like he literally can't on his own. He's struggling. He's like, I think I can do it if I just work hard enough. And it's like, no, buddy, like you need me. Just let me step in. Just let me pick you up. Let me help you. And, and I'm not saying that prayer magically fixes all your problems. Like you, you still have to adult. I hate adulting. It's And now even with a kid, it's just like, oh, I wish I could be a kid again. It's like, I look at him and I'm like, dude, you don't do anything and you just exist and you're happy. (laughs) That sounds awesome. (laughs) Uh, But God looks at us in our struggle of trying to make our lives work. And he's like, hey, I'm here. Why don't you pray? That's one of my biggest struggles as a Christian always has been. I forget to pray and I just try to work things out on my own. and And God says to me, what are you doing? I'm here. Let me help. When my son hurts himself, I don't want him to play it cool. Like if my son bonks his head, I don't want him to go off in the corner and be like, I'm fine. I don't need you. I've got it. No, I want him to cry out because I care when he's in pain and I want to step in and help. That's what a good father does. I want him to express his need to me because I know I can help. I think so many of you guys today here, you need a reminder that it's okay to express your need to God. It's okay to him and say, I'm poor. I'm needy. I don't have this figured out. I can't do this. He's not like, oh, you know how busy I am? I'm dealing with literally millions of people around the globe. Can't you figure out your own problems? No, he's like, I'm, I'm here. Let's do it. Let's get through this together. I'm with you. Look at verse three. The next identity that I believe we see is that he, he is the merciful listener. David says, be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Be merciful to me. What is mercy? It's compassion or forgiveness when you deserve punishment. And David was a man that we know was in need of severe mercy. David was a man of contradictions. A man after God's own heart, and yet also a man whose heart was wicked and chased after its own wicked passions. Arguably, he was the most righteous king Israel ever had, and yet he had moments of his life of extreme unrighteousness. He killed the giant Goliath. He was a warrior king who led Israel to many victories. And yet, as the great theologian Harvey Dent, also known as Two-Face, once said, you either die a hero or live long enough to become the villain. And you all know the story. David used his position of power to take advantage of a married woman in his kingdom. He commits adultery with her. He gets her pregnant. And then in a move that's straight out of like a Shakespearean villain, he sends the man's wife to the front lines of battle, knowing that he'll get killed, even telling his general, like, hey, I want to make sure this guy eats the dust. And don't, don't look at me like, like it's a bad thing. Just follow my orders. Sends the guy to the front lines, gets the guy killed, and then just goes and marries the guy's wife and pretends like nothing ever happened. This is heavy. This is dark, dark stuff from like a celebrated, like sweet, heart-playing shepherd boy. This is dark stuff. Some of you guys are like, Aaron, go back to telling sweet, cute stories about your child. I will, eventually. <laughs> But I think there is a reality here that the more that you study the life of David, the more you see the duality of his great godliness and also his great sin. And I think there's something for all of us there because all of us are sinners. And many of you in this room will never sin as great as David. But there are some of you here where you, you, we've, you know the weight of your sin. You know. You carry it around with you. There's a shame to it. And I think there's something amazing about David because when you study his life at the end of his life in the later chapters of the Old Testament, David is this old, tired, weak, and defeated, absolutely humbled guy. And yet there's one thing that's consistent. He knows beyond a shadow of a doubt the only hope that he has is in the mercy of God. The mercy that doesn't sweep David's sin under the rug. No, there was heavy, heavy consequences. David's sin created hell on earth for his family. And yet it's God's mercy that allows David and you and me and every sinner in the world who turns to Jesus to be forgiven, freed, and given a place in the next life where sin is no more. It's amazing. And this is why, like David, we must cry out to God. I love that line, for I cry to you all the day long. That definitely reminds me of little Jack. No joke. No joke. This isn't like preacher trying to spice up the message. This literally happened when I was writing this page of the message. I look over and he just, he's like in his crib and he just starts screaming at me. He's just like holding his bars like, dad, let me out. What's, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm steadying, And he's just like, ah, just screaming at me. And, and I had to stop and hold him. Kids, kids cry a lot. My, my, my son, he gets separation anxiety. That's like, it's super like, tragic and cute at the same time. I'll be in the room with him and I'll leave the room and he like forgets I exist and starts like freaking out. And then I come back and he's like, oh, dad's still around. Like it's sad, um, but it's also sweet. And there was one time he woke up and he was so distressed, like just so distressed. Normally he wakes up and he's so happy. He's just like "Ah," smiling and just super, super cute and chill. One time he woke up and he was distressed. Like I don't know if he had a little baby nightmare, but he was like going back and forth between me and his mom and just like hugging us and just, just like just crying like actual big real tears. And and for us, like we weren't annoyed. We weren't weren't like, oh, what are you doing? Stop crying, stop being a baby. No, we love to comfort our son. We love to come alongside him and comfort him. We were sad for him, but we were also blessed that we could show him love in that moment. I think some of you guys need to remember that's God's heart for you. He's not annoyed at your trials, at your struggles. He's not like, oh, you sinned again, (laughs) How many times do I have to tell you? No, he looks at you with the heart of compassion. He is the father who wants your best. He's the father who loves you relentlessly. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. He loves you so much. You know, not not all of you have heard more details of kind of me and my wife's story uh, over the past couple years and even the last decade, um, because it's hard to talk about. But for us, we really struggled to get pregnant. And, um, you know, for me and my wife, like, we just, we really wanted kids. I was one of those guys at 16 years old that just really wanted a kid, my wife, I remember when we were in Bible college and I asked her, like, what do you want to do for work? And she was like, I think being a wife and mom would be really cool. And that was even before we were dating. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, that's amazing. She's so cool. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with women working, but just I, I loved hearing that because for, for me, I just had this vision of how cool would it be to just have my wife be just dedicated uh, to, our, to our family in that way. And so we both, we longed for that and desired that. And then we got married and found out pretty quickly like we weren't able to get pregnant. And for years, we actually thought it was impossible or or very unlikely. And it was really hard. There was many years with just so many tears and frustrations. And it was hard because we'd see friends get pregnant and we'd just be like so happy for them, but also just a little crushed inside because it's like, oh, it's so hard. Like, I wish our kids could be the same age as their kids and grow up together. That's so frustrating. It's so hard. And I even got to the point where there was kids that used to be in our youth group who like grew up and got married and started having kids. And we're just like, oh my gosh, the clock is ticking. Like, it was just so, so challenging. And for me and my wife, we really had to seek the Lord. And, and over time, there was this sense where we learned that he was with us through that. As the loving father, he cared for us, he walked through us with that, and he showed us that even if we never got pregnant, he loved us so much. He showed me how I could be a good family man simply by being a good husband and a good son and a good brother and cousin and grandson. And he gave us tons of young people that became like our family, you know, kids in the, kids in the youth group <clears throat> who became like little brothers and sisters to us. But it was still a really hard, lonely battle. And finally, one day, we had this miracle breakthrough. It just blew our minds. We got pregnant, and it was such a smooth pregnancy, and we had our son, and we were just so thankful and so overjoyed. But, but I, I say all this with just this, this burden now that I've been through it, knowing that there's so many out there even friends of ours that we know personally who still struggle to have a child. We know other friends that had a child but lost the child, the child passed away. And we, we know others who have just been praying for so many things, not, not children, but other things, praying for years, God, when will you answer me? When will you answer me? And all I can say is that Jesus knows the pain of crying out and feeling like God has forsaken you just like David cried out to God, Jesus himself cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in his humanity, he couldn't feel the presence of his father. But the father didn't forsake him. You know the story, the father, the son, the spirit were there in that moment at Calvary, agonizing together at the cross to enact the plan that they set in motion long ago to save humanity. Jesus hears you when, you, when you, he hears your cries and he wants you to know he is near and he agonizes with you in your struggle. And though you will face struggles in this life, he has good things for you in this life and even better things in the next life where there is no more sickness, no more death, no more sin. Remember, he is, he's tender towards you. He cares. There's something so powerful, I think, about a father who's moved to tears. I had a great dad, but growing up, I didn't actually see him cry very much. Um, he wasn't hard like the generation before him. He definitely had a big heart, and he showed it a lot of ways. In fact, I was watching old footage of me from when I was in middle school and uh, my dad's, like, praying for me at my birthday party. And I'm literally, like, while he's praying, jumping up and grabbing his cheeks and, like, rustling his hair. And I'm just like, how did he put up with that? Like, I don't know how he did it. Uh, but, but he wasn't much of a crier, at least in front of us kids. And he wasn't as soft as me. Like, I'm your typical, I'm even more than your typical millennial guy. I cry at everything and anything. Um, I've heard strings on classical music, you know, that violin and cello just hit just right. I'm like, oh, just little, little tear. Uh, I've seen old episodes of Sesame Street that made me cry. Uh, The one where Mr. Hooper dies, spoiler alert for a 40-year-old show. Um, I once cried during the Super Bowl, during a commercial. Um, it was a Budweiser commercial. I don't even drink Budweiser, but all I remember is there was like this horse like running towards his owner and it made me cry. So, <laughs> uh, my wife will get annoyed at me sometimes when we're watching movies because like, she's the girl in the relationship, so she wants to like get emotional. and there's like a really emotional moment she's like about to kind of cry, and then she'll look over at me and I'm, I've already got like <laughs> Full of tears, she's like, "Oh, you ruined it for me. What's wrong with you?" (laughs) But I I remember there was a time where I was working here early on, and it was was hard to transition from being my dad's son to being his employee. And so there was like some weird clashes between us. We normally got along great, but there was just some clashes. And it was just, I, w- I was frustrated, he was frustrated, and I had a hard time expressing myself, you know? Some of you guys might struggle with that. It's just, it's hard with the people that you love to, like, open up and, and share how you're having a hard time. So I wrote him a letter just sharing how I felt and how I was frustrated, and, and he read it, and, 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 and things were really good between us after that but a year ago I was with him for a wedding and uh, I brought that up and I was like, oh, yeah, that was kind of funny. And then I wrote that letter and he's like, yeah, that made me cry when you wrote it. And when I heard that, I was just like, oh, like my heart, like hearing my dad's heart for me just really blessed me so much to see that, he, that it let down his defenses and that he got emotional. And, and man, I just see that heart in the father. You know, Jesus He's the father revealed. It's, it's the father taking on flesh and walking among us. And remember that story where Lazarus dies and Jesus knows he's gonna raise him from the dead. Like he, he can see that future, like he knows all things. And yet what happens? Jesus looks at Mary and Martha and the other family members and the friends of Lazarus and they're all just crying and it breaks Jesus' heart to see his friends in pain. And it says, Jesus wept. And I just, I I love that heart revealed of God that he cares so much for humans that even though he knows that he's going to fix their problems in the end, and that's kind of our situation, right? We know the end of the story. God knows even more. One day, every problem that we face as Christians will be fixed. We'll be in the new heaven and earth, resurrected, all of our problems gone. And yet God looks at us in this moment that we're in and he feels our pain and he's with us. And he understands. It's powerful. The th- I want to show you guys in verse four the third identity that we see. It says, rejoice the soul of your servant for you, O Lord, I lift up my soul to you. I, I love making my kid happy. <laughs> like, I love lifting his spirits. Although it's kind of, sad for me because my wife actually makes him laugh more than me, which I was like, I thought I was the funny one. Like you're the mom. I'm, I'm, you know, my one role as dad right now is just to make this kid giggle, but she just is so good at making him laugh. And I'm just like, oh, one day he'll appreciate my dad jokes, but not working right now. But we, both me and my wife, we just love to make our little boy happy. We love to just sing to him and read to him and play with him and chase him around the house. Like, we love making him happy. And I want to remind you, like, God loves you. Like, he loves when you're happy. Now, this isn't prosperity gospel. This isn't like, God's here for your health and your wealth and just to make you, like, no. Like, he's not a genie in a bottle. But that doesn't mean he doesn't love to bless his children. He's got so many good gifts. Some, some of us, we live in this idea of the sacred and secular divide, where it's like, God is really happy with me when I read my Bible at like 4 a.m., because that's even more holy. 3 a.m., it's like double blessing, you know? No coffee, just, just wake up, just trying to focus on the page. It's like, <laughs> that's the true holiness, brother. And no, like, we, we have this sacred secular divide where it's like church, worship, Bible, that's when God's happy with us. And then anything else, like you go out and surf a wave and God's like, how dare you? Why aren't you at church? He made the ocean. (laughs) He made it as a gift for you. He created the world to be a blessing for you. And so when you experience the simple pleasures of life, a sunny day, a meal with friends, time with family, a sunset, God is pleased that you're experiencing the beautiful things that he made for you. It's amazing that we've been given this opportunity of relationship. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory. Lewis says, we've been given the chance to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God, not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a father and a son, it seems impossible, a weight or burden of glory which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. I love that. You've been made for relationship. You've been made for a relationship with a father who loves you. The last attribute I wanna look at is in verse four. We're already looking at it. The joyful forgiver. I, I wanna look at... Um, the reality how it says okay here we go verse 5 i lost my place for a minute but here we go verse 5 the joyful forgiver for you lord are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call on your name he's good and he's forgiving it says right there he's ready to forgive how many of us are ready to forgive i don't know about you but like i need to be convinced when I'm angry at somebody or frustrated, like it's hard to just jump right into forgiving mode. But it says, he is ready. He is ready to forgive. For my son, Jack, I mean, he does a lot of things that frustrate me at times. Like one time he just, I sat him down for a nice cuddle and he just went to the bathroom all over on my nice shirt. And I was like, bro, I'm a little bummed at you right now. He keeps us up at night sometimes. He steals my hat, hits me in the face the other night, my wife was making dinner, and he was in his high chair just pounding on, like, food! He didn't say food, but he was just screaming at my wife. And I'm like, bro, chill. What is your deal? But we've never stopped loving him. Like, we're ready to forgive him because he's a child. As, I get old, or as he gets older, I know that he'll have a greater capacity to hurt me emotionally, which scares me. But I know that I'll never stop loving him. He, he is so ready to forgive. He said he has steadfast love. Something that's been big on my heart over the past couple years has been just the struggle that so many young people face right now. Where they grow up in Christian homes and then they just lose their way. So many of you guys, I was just talking to someone after last service who was talking about their kid, who they, they went to this church children 's ministry, youth group, camps, VBS, but they're just they 've walked away, and it reminded me of something that happened to me on this recent trip. I was at my dad 's house and I decided to take a walk in my dad 's neighborhood, a neighborhood I have walked and rode my scooter i wasn 't cool enough to be a skater. I rode my scooter all around the neighborhood. And so I went for a walk and it was so hot. Oh my gosh, I was dying. And then I got lost. (laughs) I got lost in my dad's neighborhood. Like the place that I knew like the back of my hand. And I found myself lost. Couldn't find my way home and it just reminded me like when i when i was walking and just it was hot and sweaty and i was like kicking myself cuz i'm like this is where i'm like this is my dad's neighborhood i should know this but i feel lost it just reminded me so much of how there's so many young people right now who are lost in their dad's neighborhood they grew up at church they grew up in christian homes but somehow they they can't find their way and right now that that's what my my ministry is dedicated to is to try to gently help people find their way And if you're here today, if you're a young person and you feel lost in your dad's neighborhood, I just want to remind you, your father loves you and he's not mad that you're lost. He's here and he cares and he's actually walking the path next to you. He's with you in your lostness. He has never left you. Some of you here may be thinking... This might be a hard message for you because of your relationship with your own father, your conception of what a father means. You might be like, this all sounds great, but I'm not entirely sure that God actually loves me. The thing that you have to understand is if you're here today and you're a Christian, you actually know more about God's fatherly love than David could have ever hoped to know in his own lifetime because of the cross, you know more. You have the big picture. Because of the cross, you know more about God's love, his kindness, his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his beauty, his courage, his protection, and his compassion than David could have ever hoped to know or understand or comprehend. What a gift. What a gift to know the full story of the God who was not content to live in a world without you, and so he came to this world and died so that you could be with him in this life and in the next life to come. It's beautiful the God who if you were the only person on the planet that he could save, he still would have gone to that cross because he loves you like a father loves a child. I like to think of myself as a loving person, but I have limits. There's a lot of things I would do for a lot of people, but I, I wouldn't just die for anybody. But I think of my son, that's like, yeah, I, I, would, I would die for him. I didn't really understand that until I, I met him. But now that I have, I could tell you I, I would. You don't just die for anybody, but you'll die for your family. That's exactly what God did for you and for me. He saw into the future, He knew who His family would be, and He died for them. And even more mind blowing than that, God sent His only begotten Son to die for the rest of us so that we could be adopted into this beautiful family. That's crazy love. And don't get that doctrinal point mixed up. This isn't some cruel, monstrous God hating and mistreating one child for the sins of the one that he really wants to adopt. No, this is the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit agonizing together on the cross on that hill called Calvary bearing the weight of sin and death because God, Father, Son, Spirit, God loves you. Jesus, I just wanna pray for this group of people here that you would just continue to break down the walls in their heart and help them to understand the great, sacrificial, merciful, forgiving, beautiful, courageous love that you have for them. If they feel disconnected from you, if they feel like they're just going through the religious routine so that they can make sure they don't go to hell and that they go to heaven one day help them to know how much they're missing out on and draw them in to a loving relationship with you a friendship a richness and a a comfort a comfort lord not not this i've got to prove myself to god i've got to just do everything right no a comfort where they feel a closeness and then they don't want to sin because they don't want to break the heart of their father. They love their father. Not an avoidance of sin to, oh, I I don't want to sin because I don't want God to be mad at me. No, a love for God that is so strong for their heavenly father that they don't want to sin because they don't want to break their father's heart who loves them. Please, God, transform hearts. We ask in your name, amen.